So Steve. Hi Chris. So this this was so I had this idea which was that um uh if only I knew a guy um or a per- if only I knew a person who um was an audio engineer with a sound studio and the equipment <laughs> Uh, who was interested in Brexit and talking about Brexit, that with whom I could just sit and rant. And um, and we could do a really great podcast because people would love to hear us of course, rant who, who wouldn't? about who wouldn't? Brexit. Um, and um, so I thought of you. <laughs> <laughs> so we went for a drink last week, didn't we? Yep. And um, threw the idea around a bit and thought, well, why don't we, why don't we try? Why don't we... Record this, particularly uh, if we were accosted during the drink by yeah somebody shouting at us about how how stupid Brexit was. Yeah, Bel- Belgian lady who has some business importing kids' clothes or something, and she was like, you know, go do what you want, but for Christ's sake, just do it and stop <laughs> messing us about. And we were like, okay, we definitely need to do this, but yeah. we shouldn't do it in the pub. <laughs> <laughs> So we're not in the pub. We, no. we, we would like to be, but we're not. We're not, unfortunately, in the in the pub. We're in your front room, which is um, uh, a sound studio. Mm. So, uh, so what do you do? For, what do you do for a living, Chris? What's your day job? So I'm a Eurocrat. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I have been. Um, so I, I've been working for the EU for twenty. Two and a half years, and prior to that, I was working for Whitehall. I was working in the UK civil service for a couple of years. So I joined the UK civil service in 1992, and then I joined the commission in 1995, which was last millennium. And I don't want to depress you, but I went to university in 1995. <laughs> oh um, no, I'm depressed. Um, and um, yeah, no, I was always a, I was I was a, I was one of those people radicalised by Thatcher's Bruges speech, but not in the way that she wanted. So I was um, <laughs> I was uh, very yeah. <laughs> I was very radicalised as a student and joined the Young European Movement and the European Federalist Movement and all that, all that sort of stuff. And uh, I'm an out there Federalist. Um, a proper, real, yeah. living federalist. <laughs> wow, hardcore. Wow. So yeah, so you've got your you've got your vanilla Ramonas, and then you've got you know the ultra continuity Remain, which is me. Uh, well, you're beyond that. I'd say I'm I'm the ultra continuity Remain. <laughs> in the you know, I, I think you know, keeping opt outs and not joining Schengen. Yeah, if, if an acceptable outcome. Yeah, I mean, this, whereas whereas you're you're beyond that. You think, no, no, yeah. I'm I'm like looking at this as if this means that the UK leaves, goes through a period of soul searching, and then comes back with its tail between its legs, joining the euro, signing up to an EU army. <laughs> I'd be like, yeah, okay, that was uh, worth it. <laughs> <laughs> I actually can't believe you said that. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> that was all worth it. It was fine. What's, 
Yeah, I'm playing the long game. They're, they're, they're all playing into my hands. <laughs> this, has been, this has been your game all along. You've been in cahoots with Farage. Um, anyway, yes. <laughs> I'm, I'm here um, in a strictly personal capacity um, on my lunch break. <laughs> not during working hours. For the lawyers, Chris is not here during working hours. And I'm not working. I'm, I'm taking my well-earned lunch break. Um, I haven't eaten, so I'm hangry, which is the best way to do a podcast me about too, Brexit. <laughs> I thought it would cheer me up having lunch, and I didn't want to be cheered. <laughs> and uh, I have, yeah, I'm, I'm obviously not speaking with my EU Eurocrat hat on. I'm speaking as private citizen Chris Kendall, who is annoyed about Brexit and wants to talk to Steve about it. Well, I'm, I am speaking with my employer's hat on because I'm self-employed. Yes. So, <laughs> so everything I say, retweets are endorsements. Um, well, you um, are at work because you're in front of your big mix, mixing desk. Yeah, this is my my day job. We might, we <laughs> might put a we might we might tweet a picture a picture yeah. out of it. I actually should do that. In fact, I'm going to take a photo right now. We might you might use it later. Oh, on air, we're going to do an on air actual action shot. If if we ever get round to doing this, of the incredible mess that yeah. is my recording studio. There you go. Right, smile. Okay. Good. So what we basically we we both really like podcasts and we both subscribe to some of the excellent podcasts that are already out there on on Brexit and we're big fans. Um but what we thought might be interesting is uh is hearing it not from politicians or from or from journalists uh but from from people who actually who 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 worked in the system and uh in some cases still work still work in the in the EU system uh and yeah we thought so we we wanted to be for a you know a, a general but extremely interested listener listenership and we can go into it and go into stuff in a bit more depth than uh than than others can due to timings and celebrity guests and so on none of which you know yeah we we have so. this is very <laughs> experimental at this point we'll just yeah. see where it goes but really it's just about me and you just Instead of going down the pub to chat about it between us, we will sit in your front room and chat about it and share what we chat about and see if anybody's interested and just see how it goes. Absolutely. Yeah. OK, so we, we do have a small agenda, though. A set list, as I, as I think of <laughs> it. Yeah, we thought we would do some episode notes so that we would have at least a little checklist of things that we want to tick, tick off each week. That, that, but it, the, the problem is that the, these weeks, Brexit's coming at us so fast that by the time we get around to actually doing this, the stuff that's at the top of the list is already ancient history and, and one for the historians who will read and their eyes will boggle at the nonsense that's been happening. But, yeah. Speaking of abject stupidity, should we begin with <laughs> the Nadine Doris? Doris. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so this was, this was the, the, this is the top of our list because that happened last week and you got in a fight with her, didn't you? Yeah, this is the first <clears> time I've ever been... Actually, it's the second time I've been trolled by, by an MP. I was accused on a radio programme of wanting a no-deal Brexit by... An MP whose whose name I temporarily forget, who then sort of re- when I referred her to a timeline with you know fifteen months worth of this is how you could negotiate better to avoid a no deal, uh, she refused to refused to apologise for it. Hmm. But um, but yeah, the Nadine Dorries one was great because she called me a misogynist for no re- no yeah. reason whatsoever. What because you were arguing with her and she's a lady and therefore presumably <laughs> she represents all female. Um, 
people uh, across the world, and so therefore you were being a misogynist. But it was great because there, there was also a, a female tweeter. Yeah. Because she also called him a misogynist. Yeah, she's also a misogynist. Really. With exactly the same sentence yeah, exactly. as well. Exactly, because she was disagreeing with Nadine Doris. Well, what I wonder is if the ERG, have, uh, the, the, the European point. Research Group, have on, on their, their famous WhatsApp message group, yeah. they have a sort of line to take yeah. for the day, which, which you just cut and paste into how, it. How to, how what should, what should I do when I'm losing the argument? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> post, paste this bit about misogyny, that'll get you off. Yeah, that'll get you off. <laughs> So I think it's I think it's very very possible as some people yeah, said absolutely. that she, she she didn't she didn't actually know what misogyny meant, which I think for an MP and a novelist would be remarkable. But then she didn't know what well, customs exactly. union meant either. So <laughs> that wouldn't surprise me at all. She she, also, she knew she was against it, but not what it was. Yeah, yeah. Which is probably what we should rapidly move on to. Yeah, um, because um, yeah, let's not waste too much more time on Nathan Doris. Though I suspect she might come back again later because there was another um, point on our long agenda where she appears. Anyway, she won't let it lie, will she? I mean, she we won't, won't let it lie. <laughs> <Absolutely>. <laughs> but yeah, no. Customs Union is the is the um, is the theme of the day, or yeah, yeah that seems to be. And so I, I tweeted something um, last night um, while I was. Um, parked on the shuttle, um, travelling at 150 kilometres an hour under the channel, uh, because I'd been listening to the radio... And Sorry, can I just say, Chris, Chris is, is such a Eurofederalist, he, he, even, he even actually uses kilometres per hour instead of miles per hour. That, that was what you were picking up from that? I thought you were going to go, like, he actually commutes across the channel, which was... Lots of us use kilometres per hour. In fact, most of us... Really? <laughs> With the exception of a few people who live in the UK and maybe some Americans. The rest of us all use kilometres. Uh, uh, yeah, all the Brits I mean in Europe still use miles, still still automatically convert in the head to miles per, hour, miles per hour. And I've heard people using it here as an excuse as well. Really? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, well, OK, yeah. Well, yeah, Belgian police. Anyway, listen, um, Customs Union. So there I was travelling under the channel and um, I had been stewing on this because I'd been listening to the radio... And I'd heard the six o'clock bulletin on Radio Four, and um, so they covered the the, the story uh, where Barnier had um, given a press conference and had said, "Look, you know, if you're going to leave the customs union, then inevitably um, you're going to find yourself with trade barriers because that's what happens. Punishment, and, <clears throat> punishment, Chris. Well, that's how it. It wasn't. It wasn't reported." I mean, to be perfectly fair to the BBC, I mean, they weren't reporting it as in, in, in a tabloid-esque punishment beatings from the Commission, as Barnier announced. They, but but they, they brought on um, some kind of expert, some economic correspondent, who gave a little primer on the customs union. But nowhere in this primer did it explain that a customs union means... You have united your customs <laughs> policies. You have a common external tariff. You have a common external customs border. So once you're inside the customs area, um, you don't need to clear customs anymore, and there are no more. Ta- I mean, that's the point of a customs union. That's why it's called a customs union, right? So therefore, if you are um, stepping outside that common external tariff, so that you can set your own tariffs, um, naturally. Um, there is going to be a barrier between you and the rest of that customs union that you've left, obviously. But the but the the ultras tell us repeatedly that they they can just unilaterally get rid of that, and 
the by by just removing tariffs on the on the on the UK side and you know forgetting to forgetting to check anything at customs or, or simply yeah. not deciding not to. But the point is here that I think people don't realise is that all these these wonderful trade deals that we're meant to go out, go out uh, and and get as a result result of that this global Britain. The the trade deals we get will rely will have as an absolute condition of them that we perform that we perform customs checks. I yeah. mean, there's no way that because otherwise uh, otherwise can a Canadian firm yeah. exporting to the UK exporting to the UK uh, would then be in competition with uh, after a trade deal, say, would be in competition with countries that didn't have a trade deal with the UK because we weren't doing custom, customs checks. Uh, so there wouldn't be a there wouldn't be a le- there wouldn't be a level play. There'd be no point in actually having trade deals as a as a, as yeah. a result of that. I mean, you know, the, the, <laughs> this is this is um, the, this is classic cakeism. So cakeism is ah, the cake. this exactly is the first mention. we we, 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 we say, forgot. Didn't we, we really forgot. So yeah. Why don't you go go? Oh. <laughs> Well, that's the name of the podcast. Yeah, we're going to call it Cake Watch because I actually I st- I'm still lobbying to call it to call it Otto and the Moog Great British Cake Watch, but it might it might just be Cake Watch. Oh, quite like that. You hadn't mentioned that. We well, have a long and a short, form, yeah, you know, yeah. like country country yeah. codes. So Cake Watch. Um, so it's like Crime Watch, um, but the crime here and is Spring Watch. And well, no, yeah, but it's more like Crime Crime Watch because under these squirrels there's lots of crime. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So what, what we thought we would do is our USP is that we will sit here in Brussels and we will, for, for, for the entertainment of, of anybody who might possibly be listening to us, we will uh, every week try and sort of pick out bits of cakeist nonsense that we've, we've, we've... And there's plenty to choose, let's be honest. Oh, yeah. But the Customs Union was a classic piece of cakeism. Absolutely. So they're like, well, um, we want to have control of our own tariffs, so therefore we, we have to leave the Customs Union. But of course, there's nothing. Stop. There's no reason why the <laughs> EU should impose tariffs on us because we we don't want to impose tariffs on you. We, we want a tariff-free customs partnership. So that's totally how you, trade negotiations work. You <laughs> say we all want tariff-free trade, and everyone says yes, we do, and they go and everyone goes home, and so we don't need gas and WTO <laughs> so or anything. That's bonkers. totally how it works. It's completely. So what you want is you want. Okay, I want to have my own um, trade policy, setting my own tariffs. Thanks very much. But I don't. But I also want to be part of your customs area uh, inside your uh, inside your customs boundary. Um, so um, I mean, this, it doesn't get more cakeist than that. No, you, it doesn't. And I think the, the the Northern Ireland thing is that I mean, <coughs> this is so important for Northern Ireland anyway. But the Northern Ireland situation, Northern Ireland island border, is is really how to ex- how to explain how ridiculous this is. Yeah. So take chlorinated chicken. I mean, say say there's a wonderful. Uh, a wonderful uh, uh, trade agreement between the UK and the US, and the UK rolls over and allows chlorinated chicken to be to be imported as uh, as, as part of that trade deal. That would mean the chlorinated chicken could be imported to Northern Ireland, and if there wasn't, if there weren't uh, customs controls on the island Northern Ireland border, it would then be able to be distributed very easily into into mm. Ireland. I mean, you just drive drive mm. across, and it would presumably quite possibly be mm. cheaper as well, so there'd be an incentive for people mm. to do that. So people would smuggle this into, into Ireland. And the law would have been broken. Something that's illegal to sell in Ireland mm. uh, uh, would be legal to sell in Northern mm. Ireland. Now, at the same time, the, uh, the EU has uh, trade deals with people that the US doesn't have. Mm. 
mm. trade, deal, trade deal with, uh, which would then allow goods to be filled in competition with US goods in Northern Ireland by the reverse. Mm. It could be imported into Ireland as part of the, as part, because mm. it's in the EU and in the EU Customs Union, and then cross without control into Northern mm. Ireland um, and be filled. And uh, anybody who the UK has a uh, mm. trade deal with would, would naturally object very, object mm. very strongly to this. Mm. And um, because the higher quality or cheaper goods mm. would be in, would be in competition with them, so you can't you, you simply can't just unilaterally get rid of no. get rid of customs controls because the the other people that you have agreements with will cancel their agreements or they'll cancel yeah. portions of their agreements or they'll take you to uh, they'll take you to the uh, WTO tribunals yes. to, uh, to stop it. Yeah, the point is, this is a rules-based system, and the rules are there for a good reason. And if you didn't have a rules-based system, we'd all have you know massive tariffs and massive protectionism, and, and the whole thing would be an absolute mess. Yeah, the rules the red, are there. A would cost three times as much as a, yeah. a Volkswagen made in, in the UK. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. So the rules are there to facilitate trade. You know, they're there because we want to dismantle protectionism and we want to tra- trade with each other. I and mean, that's how the world, the modern world works. Now, like it or not, in a globalised world, you know, trade is the lifeblood, as liberal leavers keep telling us. You can't have that trade without rules. Yeah. And if you have rules, you've got to respect them. I mean, if, without a rules-based system, um, the whole thing just falls apart. And if, and, I, and if you rip up the rules, everyone just tells you to fuck off and stops yeah. trading with you. Yeah. I mean, why, why would they trade with somebody who... Who who rips up all the rules? Why would they Why would they enter into contracts when there wasn't a mechanism for their contract to be upheld? For example, and they just said they simply wouldn't do that. That's why you need That's why you need a, a rules based rules based system precisely. But I think the, the key thing about the customs union, why it's so important, is because of this Northern Ireland question as well. I mean, whether the UK is in a customs union or not, all other things being equal, is a is a choice. Um, it's a choice that is uh, clearly detrimental economically to the UK, but it is a choice for the UK to make in the yeah. negotiations. But it's impossible to have the uh, uh, invisible border yeah. across the island of Ireland without without at least Northern Ireland being in in the customs union. It simply can't. There isn't a solution to this other no. than the customs union. Exactly, which is what we all said all along. As soon as we saw the um, the, 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 the 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 announcement of the um, of, of, of the uh, the agreement um, concluding the first part of the, of the Brexit negotiations, the Article 50 bit of, of, of the, As soon as we saw that, the first thing we all said was, well, oh, well, there you go, Customs yeah. Union. Prob- be and probably union. the single market, yeah. because the Customs Union is quite hard yeah. to work yeah, without exactly. the single market. Yeah. So, so. We'll, we'll be in. Yeah. So it'll be, uh, it'll be a super soft Brexit or a Beano, and that'll be it. Beano Brexit in name only. Which, of course, is what everybody you know, on, 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 the, on the Leave side, on the headbanger side, was worried about. But, I mean, it, it, that's the logic of the first part of the customs agreement. The, the, the logic in Brussels, I think, and I'm, again, speaking not with my official hat on, but as an observer, was... Over time, we'll stop, we'll stop doing yeah, disclaimers but, on every yeah. single point, but at the moment, we're going to keep <laughs> on doing them. Important. Yeah, exactly. Um, <clears throat> I, my reading of, 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 of the Brussels side of it was, well, look, you're promising us some kind of magic technological fix so that you won't have any physical infrastructure, but you'll still respect the... Um, the you know the the, the border and, 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 and so so but look you deal with that fine you know one way or another you're going to deliver on this promise that the Good Friday Agreement will be protected and that, that there will that there won't be a physical infrastructure on the Irish border now you're either going to do that by being in the customs union and single market or by some magical technological fix that you've dreamt up and you know have yeah. yet to have yet to invent and since unicorns <laughs> don't exist it has to be the first right. one so you know sooner or later you know the reckoning will come and we'll see what's happening i mean already we're beginning to see i mean as 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 as, as i've read it you know um 
the the government, the British government, is still drumming this um, this, this line that um, there'll there'll be a technological fix. So I talked to somebody from the WCO, the World Customs Organization, thirty five years of experience in his national customs uh, service, which I won't mention which nature which which nation it was. Um, well, his English was uh, native level. Uh, and, uh, uh, yeah, and so I asked him a series of... I was like, brilliant, excellent, you're exactly the person I want to talk to. Northern Ireland, is there a technological solution? Like, no. Uh, Dover, is there a solution? He's like, no, you need to turn Kent into a car park, <laughs> into a lorry park. Um, I said, come on, there must be... But there's ways to mitigate it. He said, yeah, there's a, few ways to mit- there's a few ways to mitigate it. You can make the border look nice. You can put plants at the border crossings. <laughs> you can, you know, you can, you can hire, you know... Hire, hire nice people, put them in, you know, pleasant uniforms rather than <laughs> rather than army ones. And yeah, of course you can mitigate it, but yeah, you'll have to stop people. Even even if, even if you're just going to do it on a targeted basis, even if you're, you know, you're not going to search every lorry, even if you're not going to do that, um, you're still going to need to do five yeah. or ten percent. And and yeah. and we're talking about, you know, hundreds of thousands yeah. of. No, of, this is this is this is a this is um, a previously seamless border where barriers will be erected because of the UK's political choice to exit the customs union. Yes, it's a, clearly a political, yeah. not an economic choice, because, you know... I thought David Allen Green tweeted, um, this is clearly a signal that, uh, that the UK government doesn't expect Northern Ireland to be in the UK yeah. after Brexit. Well, I don't, I don't think that they would admit, admit that for a second, but, I mean, that's what the logic dictates. Unfortunately, yeah, they're hiding from the logic. Yeah. And, you know, speaking personally, because, <laughs> uh, of course, this is all about me... Um, you know, about a year to go. It was just over a year. We're going to leave the EU now. Okay, transition. Okay, so maybe we're, we're not talking about. We're going to stop it. This, is, yeah. this podcast will stop it. Exactly. However, yeah. Yeah. the only reason it's still going on is that we hadn't thought of doing this before. Yeah. <laughs> now this is, consider it done. Basically, that's it. It's done. But yeah, I mean, I'm you know, I can't tell you how much I'm looking forward to my commute. So twice a week, I cross that, I cross that border, and um, I mean, it's a pain, it's a raw pain in the arse anyway, having to sort of get through passport control, which of course I don't have to do on any other European borders. But getting through passport control, and then you know, queuing up and going through that tunnel um, uh, is is a, bit, is a bit of a pain for a commute. But I'm like, I can't even imagine what it's going to be like. And there's going to need to be an agreement on putting passport control because currently there's UK passport mm. control in Belgium and there's and there's. Mm. Um, I mean, I don't get the. I Do don't I get, get the French? I mean, you, I don't get it. Yeah, I, don't, I, I get it on. Yeah. I, I, I don't yeah. have a car, so I, yeah. I get Eurostar. Yeah. But there's a UK border post in 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 Brussels, and mm. there's and there's a French border post in mm. in London, which they've just completely rebuilt as well in, in Midi, haven't they? In the Midi station. Um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. But but, but this mm. is gonna. But this all needs agreement. I mean. Yeah. So um, yeah, which will be bilateral agreements. They won't be. They won't be um, um, EU agreements. No, but the like, point yeah. is, the agreement hasn't been done. No. Forty months. No. Forty months away. And there's, no. there's just a million things. Like it's just this, so many, so many things like this. It's just. Yeah, yeah. And you, you really do get the impression that the government are just hiding their heads in the sand, hoping it'll just go away, or that maybe you know they'll go away and it'll all hit Corbyn in the face. With <laughs> one way or the other, they just, just make it go away. And that's clearly why May's still in charge, because nobody, nobody else wants, wants to pick up this... Nobody wants to a hospital pass. Of course, a hospital pass. And, and the poor woman is like, what do I have to do to... <laughs> I mean, you did a great tweet this morning, Steve, um, where you, uh, line by line, you looked at the dates... Uh, <laughs> yeah. Which was, I thought, you know, I mean, this is the kind of thing that just needs to be put under people. Nineteen months since the referendum, and the cabinet is the cabinet is meeting today 
to decide for a first discussion. Breakfast politics. I, it's just, it's, I mean, come on, guys. We could never have written this if you know. No. In a million years, could we have dreamt up something as? And they talk about Project Fear, though. You know, we were cat- catastrophizing yeah. beforehand. We were. I mean, I didn't think it would be this no. bad. I thought it would be. I thought actually the negotiations and so on would be re- would yeah. be would be relatively easy. I yeah. thought the UK will the UK will pick something off the menu. And then there'll be a lot of details around the edge of them they have to negotiate. I mean, it's, I, I never imagined for a second that it would be handled no, in this no, sort no, of cack-handed. No, it's, it's astonishing. The way. levels of incompetence are just off the, off the chart. But I mean, it's been, but it's been, I mean, it's been unbelievably confrontational from yeah. the UK side well, from the from the very beginning. I so mean, Steve, it's been my so, thesis yeah. the whole the whole way that it was actually ruined. The negotiations were effectively ruined before the, before yeah. last before last summer anyway, yeah. because trust had completely broken down anyway. Yeah. So, Steve, you and I, um, we both have experience um, as negotiators um, for the EU and, and, and in the EU um, and as EU member state um, negotiators. So we've got quite a lot of experience between the two of us. I mean, I call myself the most experienced negotiator in the EU, but, I mean, you know, we've done a bit of it. Mm. And so um, we both separately, um, at about the same time, um, wrote pieces... Um, I, I published on my blog um, a couple of pieces about, you know, well, this is how negotiations ought to go. Yeah. And and we, I think we both kind of naively just assume that that's how they would go because, of course, we've all been part of the EU for all these years and that's just how you do it. I mean, you know, you... And, and in you, negotiations we've done, very rarely are people dicks about stuff. Yeah, exactly. You, you understand that people have different interests and different positions yeah. and so on, but you... But it's not confrontation. Yeah, yeah, there's not confrontation. <laughs> and, and, actually, the... and actually what you're trying to do is you're trying to find out, you're trying to work out what it is yeah. you need to do to get the other person to agree. So you're not going around shouting and no. uh, uh, telling them to whistle for it and all this kind of stuff. You're trying to find the thing they can take back and say, yeah. uh, "Yes, I did give them. Right. I did give them this, but in return we got that." And, and this is this is, I think, a really key thing that people haven't understood on either side. So this is where you, you, you've got um, two sides who are just simply talking past each other. They haven't got it on the British side. It has always been cast in terms of a zero-sum, um, winner-loser confrontation. It's all about winners always. and losers, the whole thing, yeah. but even the referendum. Always. There's always a transactional... And we hear know, this, yeah. get over it, loser. Yeah. You know, we still hear it yeah. now as well. <clears throat> Whereas in Brussels, and, and, and not just in Brussels, but right across the rest of the EU, um, that's just not how it works. And mm. I think it took a really long time for people to grasp that that's how the British were, were, were approaching it. I mean, they think, you know, everybody's used to the way in which the British press operate... Uh, and also the, the British House of Commons operates, but the understanding was, well, you know, okay, yeah, they, that's that's all a bit of theatre. Well, because then you get the grown-ups to, are in charge, and they're gonna. Well, then you get diplomats to yeah. do the negotiations, yeah. and they're diplomatic. I mean, yeah. that's it's in the that's nature how it of works, and we're quite good at it. Yeah. And and actually, the you know, I think the UK has got away with got away with absolute murder in. Oh, we in, had, in, we had in a reputation. We had a reputation for being the real Rolls Royce negotiators. Yeah. I mean, we were almost sort of. I mean, it was it was obviously in hindsight clearly undeserved, and I think we we knew at the time that you know. But you know, we had a real reputation for being the absolute you know class act of you know, and, and, and in council meetings, you know, we would be deferred to because you know when we made an intervention, generally people around the table would shut up and listen because we generally had constructive and intelligent things to say, and we meant it. We never grand, we didn't yeah. grandstand. We you know no. we meant yeah. it. And, and and you know when the dust settles on all of this, I think that this will be one of the major um, long-term historical um, outcomes, which is that you know, that that is a serious part of our um, cultural capital, uh, our brand that we will have burned, and, and yeah. future yeah. stereotype. I mean, this, 
it, it has been a stereotype, I mean, it's a stereotype of Britain that, you know, we produce, um, that we're hard-headed, we're pragmatic, uh, we're sensible and we can be relied upon to come in and, 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 and inject some common sense into it. Into into and, and mercantilist as well, that we look yeah, at the cost-benefit yeah. analysis and, and, and go with right. one that has the most benefit. But it's benefit, part of yeah. a carefully... Culture, a carefully cultivated and partially deserved um, reputation that we've built over, over over many years, and it's a stereotype. And you look at other stere- you look at the stereotype of you know you, we can all name stereotypes of other EU member states, but what you need to uh, remember is that those stereotypes change, and they tend to change in sudden moves. So you know the the the, the, the stereotype that people had about Germany <laughs> changed quite radically. <laughs> Um, in a certain point in the early 20th, 20th century and, or in the mid-20th century. And, and, and you know, it, it evolves, but there are sort of... There are, there, there are step changes. And I think what we're witnessing is we're witnessing a step change in the reputation of the British. And, and, and I think this is irreversible. You can't manufacture no, no, this. You no, can't have a strategy to no manufacture goodbye. goodwill and people liking you. Yeah, it just happens to coincide yeah. with a Great Britain is Great <laughs> campaign that Whitehall... Um, well, that had, been going, that, had been, that had actually been going for a while. Yeah, and 2010, was quite, wasn't it? Yeah, it was quite yeah. a good campaign. But, yeah. but the idea that you're going to double down on it well, just as a sort just, of... It, yeah. Absolute proof that it's, it's not like true. You look at posters now and Such you start. A, but, but 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 like every single decision, there's you know there's there's a range of options. Every single decision has been taken since the referendum by mm. the UK government. Mm. Um, there's been a range of options available to them, mm. and they've almost always taken the taken the the, yeah. the, the worst possible option. Yeah. yeah so. So what we've done is we've gone immediately off topic, which is exactly what we wanted to do. We wanted to, to, it to be sort of free-form and free-flowing, but, but on the other hand, that does mean that we're, um, we have to sort of look back at our um, checklist because I'm going to have to stop soon, um, Steve, because I'm on yeah. my lunch break. Um, right, well, let's go a bit quick through the other news then. Uh, I mean, one thing I wanted to talk about was um, the, uh, the, the, the civil service gate and the... Tra- the yeah. Because, I mean, we're both... Current or former civil servants, um, are European and, and, and white Some of my best friends are civil servants, <laughs> and um, this 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 was particularly personal. This was yeah. this 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 felt really personal, um, but it had been a long time coming because I think I think yeah, it, it has been a long time coming. I mean, lots of people have said, "Oh, the, you know, this isn't new," but I think it's new as it's new as a concerted attack. So we should we should just recap and say what we're talking yeah. about. So this is um, so this was the uh, stitch up in the House of Commons where um, Rhys Mogg stood up, um, said, "Oh, you know, I heard I heard Charles Grant say that the Treasury had cooked up these figures because they were even, even better than that. He he said he said, I did you hear Charles mm. Grant? And then Steve Baker, Baker the Steve junior Baker, minister yeah. uh, in Dexu, came up and said, "Well, I did hear that, and it's uh, and it's a flipping out, a flipping disgrace." Um, basically, just just um, uh, well, he, conf- he confirmed. Yeah. The, he confirmed that Charles Grant had said that when when um, he ha- when he when he, he hasn't, hasn't. And, he hasn't. <laughs> and there's proof there's a tape. I mean, it's yeah. brilliant. There's a tape. Yeah, right? and, and and you know, number ten came out after the tape had been published. Number ten came out and said, "We see no reason to um, call to, to, for, for Steve Baker to to, to, to criticise Steve Baker over this. It all seems perfectly above board." Steve Baker then, of course, did apologise and wrote back. Uh, but Rhys Mogg didn't double down on it. Yeah, fact, yeah, yeah. But anyway, what this did was, and it was interesting because it was a real line in the sand. I think. I think we, we you know, having seen what, how, how um, um, the, the judiciary had been attacked, having seen how opposition MPs and also 
uh, constituency MPs had, had been attacked. Yeah, now it was the, t- the turn of the civil servants to, to be to be um, given the uh, backstabbing fifth column treatment. And you know this is this is important stuff. I mean, this is an, an, an essential institution um, which we really need to remain healthy if we're going to have any any chance of, sort of decent governance and coping with. The, the stuff that's coming down the line. Well, it's not just about healthy. It's about it's about maintaining a non political, uh, maintaining yeah. a non political civil service. Yeah. I mean, talk to German colleagues who get quite senior in the civil service, and they'll and they'll say, uh, "Oh yeah, I'm not going to go any further at the moment because I'm the wrong uh, party. Wrong, mm. I'm the wrong party, and, mm. we, and we don't have that. And it's really mm. important that we don't mm. have that. And the point isn't that civil servants tell ministers what to do. It's that ministers tell civil servants to do based on the very best information that can be. Yeah, and, and, and to be clear, I mean, you know, it's a choice. You can have it. You can choose to have the upper echelons of the civil service be political, and that's what they have in the states. That's what they have in Germany. It's fine. That's a perfectly, you know, valid choice. But don't, you know, that has to be a, 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 a deliberate, active choice. Um, and you know, with, with, with and constitutional arrangements, yeah. and, 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 um, and, and, and it shouldn't just absolutely. be something that just slips into it while you maintain the pretense that the civil service are actually non-political. I mean, the UK civil service is non-political, and that has to be protected and got. You know, and, yeah. yeah. And, and that's that was the line that we were then you know, defending, and um, yeah. Um, so Steve, Steve Baker did did row back from that, but I, and, and, and it was good to see the First Division Association, the Professional Association of the civil servants, coming in hard on this. And uh, but a I mean, very weak <clears throat> response from the top of the civil service. Though. Mm. I mean, I, I'm very surprised that Jeremy Hayward didn't. I mean, he he made a he made he a, made an oblique reference to he it. He made an oblique he? reference yeah. to it in a speech about mm. about something else, yeah. about something administrative. Yeah. And I think actually that that mm. that there was a there was an opportunity there to to kill this, and I think it'll actually keep on rolling because it hasn't been killed. And I, I know Reese Mogg's keeping on going with it, but also they didn't. Uh, Ian Doris and some of the other who, nerd, who? <laughs> and some of the some of the other <laughs> nerds are ERG. Yeah. ERG MPs have, have done it. There's, there's, there's a few examples about yeah. it. I think what's most remarkable is that it was done in the House of Commons as well. It's yeah. one thing. Yeah, to, exactly. It's one thing to do yeah. an article because the head of civil service can write an article and re- reply to it in the, yeah. in, the in the Times, but um, you don't have a right to respond on right to respond on the official record. No, and you're protected in the, from, in the from, House of Commons from slander and libel, aren't you? And uh, laws. And, well, precisely. And, and I think that was. A, um, I mean, the, the uh, Charles Grant's not a civil servant, he's a, he runs mm. a, a think tank. Mm. But I felt, I mean, I felt particularly bad for him mm. about this because this is his reputation. Yeah, he had been slandered, exactly. Yeah, and, that's had, his, that's his, yeah. and if that had been, if that had been on television or in a newspaper article, mm. um, he could have sued. He, he could have, he could have, and, and he would have been advised and, to. And should, yeah, yeah, he would, yeah, yeah, he would have been yeah. advised to. Um, yeah. So it's a, it's, it's a, it's a real misuse of power using the, using the commons like that to me yeah. as well. So, yeah, agreed, yeah. Okay, I, I mean, I wanted just to link it. Sorry, okay, we, I just wanted to link it very briefly to the BBC. <laughs> so to come back to our, the darling BBC, I mean, we, we should probably save this for a different uh, occasion because there's quite a lot to, to un- unpack. But just very briefly, I mean, what what we've seen happen um, to BBC, uh, the BBC's editorial line on news, uh, I, I I feel that there has been a, a significant. A noticeable shift mm. since the Iraq War and and and, and the circumstances um, following. I can't remember the, the the name of the report, but there was um, the yeah chill. Was it the no, chill? No, no, it was no, the other no. one. The um, yeah. Anyway, you know what we're talking about, don't you, listeners? Experts, um, listen. Yeah. Experts. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, I've noticed that. I mean, the the the, the, the tweets that I 
my tweets that seem to get the most traction seem to be ones <laughs> where I'm like pulling the BBC up on uh, misreporting or or, or 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 not false equivalence, not false, providing I mean, false equivalence is absolutely yeah. rampant now. And not, we fo- yeah. and we follow this with Ruth Mogg. Um, yeah. We thought there was a BBC headline, and the headline was simply in inverted commas Treasury something along the lines of Treasury plot to yeah. rig, to rig figures. And then, of course, we read the article, and it says Jacob Rees-Mogg said. But to put that head, to yeah. put, put that headline, you can put any, you can put anything, uh, you can put anything like that. But of course, what people see is the headline that slips into yeah. it. And this is the, this is be, this is a classic, classic tactic which yeah. was used by uh, Breitbart and Trump's people yeah. in, the, in the in the US as well. Is that, and this is why Rees-Mogg, this is why, the, in my view, the Brexiteers are doing this attack on the civil service. Yeah. Is to undermine it generally because you you, slip, you make these accu- accusations. Everybody hears about it. There's a big fuss. There's he- there are headlines like that on the BBC News website, which is looked at by everyone. Um, then it's retracted in the Commons. This gets a little the equivalent of a correction on page twenty seven for a front page for a front page headline. But there are people sitting in pubs who aren't no. uh, engaged engaged in politics as part of the you know in in a in a in a, hu- in a huge way. So pe- people sitting in pubs saying. Apparently, there's a, you know, well, there's a plot, isn't there? There's a plot. Well, I mean, you and, and I... And the damage is done at that point, yeah. you know? I mean, you and I, we're civil servants, and civil servants um, generally are not conspiracy theorists because we know <laughs> how difficult it is to make... <laughs> we to know make... that it was, We know how the cock-up happened. Yeah, right. we know so we're, we're much more cock-up than conspiracy, yeah. uh, I think. Um, and and I, I'm not... Um, I, 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 I don't read quite so much sinister meaning into what's going on. I To me, it's more about... Um, a drop in or a change in journalistic standards and what they're teaching at journalism school, and I mean, I would call it a drop in journalistic standards, where but it's, it's sort of tabloidisation. But it's pop- following a drop in public standards as well. I mean, this is yeah, a vicious it, cycle. It, it, exactly, yeah. exactly. And 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 we're watching so, uh, uh, an evolution which I, you know, I think is a really unhealthy evolution, and I'm I, I don't know what to do about it. But I simply wanted to yeah, put a marker down and say, well, this is something that might merit further discussion um, and contemplation because. It'd be good to unpick what's going on here and whether we're barking up the wrong tree entirely. Absolutely. I think that um, we did have Brexit Dividend as one of our cake, calling out cake, but we've kind of done the customs union instead, so maybe we should come back to Brexit yeah, Dividend. Yeah, I agree. I think we're going to have to wrap up because yeah. um, um, I, can, I have to But I think, we should do, I think we should do... The, I think we should finish with the, li- with the lie of the week. I don't believe you. Liar. Um, coffee tariffs. Yeah, you're going to edit that bit out and put in some proper music, right? Yeah, of course, yeah, yeah <laughs> absolutely. I was just so I can see in the waveform where, where I'm meant to do the edit. Right, okay, so, so, so two or three things. this is absolute bullshit. I mean, this, is, this, is, this, isn't, this isn't spin. This is lurking down the camera and lying about this on the coffee tariffs. Yeah, so um, who was it? It was one of the... It was, one of the Leave organisations um, put a tweet out that was then retweeted by our friends Nadine Doris and others um, saying, look, the EU has imposed these enormous tariffs um, on coffee um, and coffee products and it, it just goes to show how much they hate um, um, the, poor. The, the poor and what protectionists I mean, they these, are. These are the same people who are saying that we should, that we should reduce our national yeah, development exactly. spending. They're exactly uh, yeah. the people who think <laughs> development spending is a waste of money. The, I mean, the Venn diagram is just a single circle. Yeah, it's yeah. astonishing <laughs> yeah. hypocrisy. Yeah. But anyway, um, the, the lie is, of course, um, that... Um, the, the, 
pr- practically every coffee producer um, benefits from um, a whole host of tariff reduction mechanisms, bilateral agreements, whereby actually pretty much no no, no tariffs are paid on coffee products being imported into the EU. Now, and when they are, it's because they're a middle-income... They're exactly. a middle-income country, not, exactly. a, low, not a lower exactly. or lower middle-income country. Exactly, yeah. exactly. So um, I'm not going to go into detail on this because uh, I'm not actually an expert, but um, there was a fantastic um, thread um, posted by a chap called Jim Cornelius in reply to uh, Nadine Doris, which just, I mean, demolishes the argument. And I, we should stick... We, what we should do is... Well, what, when we eventually get a website up, we'll have some show notes and we'll yeah, put links and, we'll put and stuff into because that. Because it was outstanding. It yeah. went, I mean, it went country by country. Yeah, it was really... It was a proper demolition but job. The, it was great. But the core of it and what made the lie, made the lie so ridiculous was that... Uh, the the reason this has been done was specifically to help poorer to help poorer countries as part of the uh, yeah. e- EPOs as part of the economic partnership agreements yeah. that the yeah. EU is making with uh, with uh, ACP countries. Um, so uh, not only was it was it untrue that there were tariffs on coffee, but it was the 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 very opposite of true. That it was victimising yeah. poor yeah, countries, exactly. and mm. because the tariff removals were actually part of EU development EU development policy, which incidentally is largely UK driven, well, <laughs> or has been historically. There, there, there's a massive um, element of UK foreign policy that is simply going to just dissolve away. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think that's yeah. I think that's maybe. Uh, we should we should cover that at some point. There, there's quite actually, a lot to cover I mean, there. I mean, there's another one, whole cover. angle which is sanctions, sanctions policy, and how the UK has driven you know EU sanctions policy is a I'm major particularly part. on Russia, but yeah. as well. and it's yeah. just going to just going to melt away. Anyway, listen, we we need to wrap up. Okay. Um, so this has been the pilot. Um, we if if we we might put it online, we might not. Um, we'll we'll work work it out. We we'll listen to it. Uh, yeah, and um, and we may come back and do a proper one. We may not, <laughs> but I think we will. It's been good. I think we'll do another one. Yeah. So you can catch me on Twitter at Otocrat, O-T-T-O-C-R-A-T. And you can get me at Guitar Moog. Uh, guitar Moog. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. And thank you very much. This is the first episode of Cake Watch. Yeah, it'll get more professional. Or funnier or better. So before we go, I just want to mention our beautiful intro and outro music uh, that you'll have heard and probably be hearing now if I've edited it properly. This is from uh, this is a song called "Going Up the Wrong Way" by Mr. Bai Kamara Jr. from his fantastic new album, uh, "The Mystical Survivors" and some rare Earthlings, which uh, was actually recorded at my studio. So I'm quite pleased. With that and many thanks to to Bai for giving us permission to use it. Bye bye.